I suppose I should give you a little bit of my background. So I am Karuna. I'm the founder and executive director for Mind Oasis. And what we're doing here is, is the start of what I think will be a monthly webinar series. And each week I produce something called Meditation Happy Hour, Tea, Talk, and Truth with Karuna. And sometimes I have guests and sometimes I um, have uh, teachings like this. And, and so this will actually be recorded and it'll be on the meditation happy hour. And um, I just want you to all know that up front. Um, if there's any mega sharing, I'll be happy to edit that out, but I think it's all going to be wonderful. So I have the most amazing teachers. My background, I grew up in Racine, Wisconsin. And um, about a decade ago, I found Tibetan Buddhism and I found a bunch of teachers who have imparted their wisdom on me. But I like to say that ain't nobody around here trying to make anybody anything. I just use the wisdom that I've received and I try to break it down in a really relatable way that's useful in your life. One of my teachers, Kelly Lindsay, who also teaches on Mind Oasis, she likes to ask two questions. Is it helpful and is it kind? So I guess we could also say there's another sort of end goal teaching. One of the most useful things you can do when faced with the unrelenting number of challenging moments it feels like we have these days is to ask yourself when you're going to respond or when you're about to react, is it helpful and is it kind? I have neighbors who have very different political views from me. And every now and then I get sort of cornered on a dog walk and they're older and I'm not going to change them, but I can change my relationship with them. I can be helpful and I can be kind. And if I can't be helpful, then the kind thing to do is to walk away, right? So we put these practices into play. And for me, it's like I go to sleep and I forget and I have to be reminded again. So interestingly, the, the six perfections, which is what I'm going to talk about, but we're not gonna call them that. They're just six ways of being in the world, six ways of being a compassion warrior in the world. I feel like I've taught and been taught hundreds of times. And yet I feel like every time I teach them something, some gem shimmers through and I never cease in being excited to hear what other teachers have to say. So I would call these ways of being in the world universal, helpful, kind, and sort of infinite in possibility. Great. So I thought we would just take a moment here to actually arrive and to center. So whether you meditate with your eyes open or closed, I'm just going to invite you for a moment to um, close your eyes. And to just begin by feeling who's arrived on your cushion or in your chair today. How are you feeling physically?
And how are you feeling emotionally? And then we'll take three cleansing breaths here in through the nose, a little pause and an exhale through the mouth. Two more. And then just for a moment, drawing your attention to the crown of your head and working your way down. You could think of it like water or air or leaves, just moving any sort of unsettled energy up at the top, down, down, down towards your sits bones and eventually settling at your feet. And then when you're ready, draw your attention to your heart space. And if you can connect with your most tender part of your heart space, the place that surges in love and cracks in grief. Just see if there's any little intention that you'd like to set for today, for you. We're exploring what it means to be a compassion warrior. And it might just be to be present for the next 40 minutes or so, 50 minutes or so. Just present and open, maybe a little curious. Maybe another one of those nice, big, full cleansing breaths and then beginning to Maybe flutter your eyes open. Hi, Kim. It's nice to see you. Kim joins us from Madison, Wisconsin as well. So it's worth noting what compassion is and also what being a warrior means. Um, I like to define things so that from there we can then make them our own, right? And those of you who know me know that <laughs> um, 
you know, rules were kind of made to be broken and, you know, we have to explore beyond boundaries, but I'm also actually a really big, big proponent of, of finding boundaries in order to understand where, where to expand beyond. And I'll just give you the punchline. So if I have, you know, cardiac arrest and we don't get to the end of this, you know what my whole point for delivering this was, okay? So I'll, I'll give you the, the big ending, all right? You never know, right? Hell, did you think on March 14th you were gonna be in lockdown for the next two months? And then March 15th came along and what the hell, right? So, to be a warrior of compassion invites us to actually um, a lot of times do the exact opposite of what we've been taught. It actually means to open your heart again and again and again, even in a world that perhaps invites us to close down. So I've noticed personally, hi, Sherry. I've noticed personally over the past few months that the world feels like it's going to hell in a handbasket. Anyone else? Little bit, right? And then, and then on top of that, just add whatever you have going on personally. You know, like our personal lives continue, our relationships with our children and our friends and our lovers and pets, it all continues. I mean, our relationship with our teeth do you go to the dentist or do you not go to the dentist? You know, I mean, we're faced with these really interesting questions on top of everything else that just a few months ago would have kind of just felt like swimming in the stream, right? Defined by like a dictionary, particularly this one's the Oxford Dictionary, if you're into that kind of stuff, is sympathetic concern for the suffering or misfortune of others. Sympathetic concern for the suffering or misfortune of others. So that's part of what we're talking about. So then I thought, well, what's the difference between compassion and empathy? Empathy is our ability to understand and share the feelings of another. I would call empathy the ability to walk in the shoes of another person. So my neighbors that I don't agree with politically, I put my feet in their shoes and I can empathize with how they got to where they are, okay? Which is really useful because if you haven't noticed, there's lots of division. We do a lot of us and them. And in particular, I think in the West, and in particular in America, and I think in particular right now, um, for the past few years, and I don't know if that's social media or not, but it feels heightened. A lot of us in them, all across the board. And some things matter more to you than others. And the way that we can begin to really be helpful is to really understand the equanimity of the human experience. Because we're born, we'll die. And when we know that, we also know that a lot of things happen in between. That's a shared human experience. We have the triumphs and we have the tragedies and a whole lot of other things in between. 
by understanding that shared human experience, we can go beyond other, we can go beyond us versus them. It's hard because I think from a very young age, unless you had a very different upbringing than me, which I know does happen, but from a very young age, we're classified into columns, right? The gifted child, the, the um, country children, the city children. Are you a good athlete? Are you a poor athlete? Are you a good student? Are you a wild child? So we, we begin to place all of these labels and we have labels placed on us. And then, I don't know, we get to some certain age and we kind of look around and go, well, what the hell? My heart beats, feels, and looks just like this other person's heartbeat. And then you start to go, well, so what's the commonality? And the shared experience of life is the commonality. That is the equanimity of our experience. And so I would say that we can sort of maybe steep the rest of everything we talk about in the idea of what it means to have completely different experiences in this world and yet to feel into the shared experience of being human. So then I looked up one other word. Ah, passion. <laughs> because compassion has the word passion in it. And, and I wanted to be sure to impart how not beige this is. And I always apologize to anyone who really loves beige. I am very sorry. But, but you know, beige is sort of beige. I don't know. It's not exactly like I'm looking at the, the Kimber's background. Like on my screen, it looks like this unbelievable sage, right? It's just gorgeous. So like you look out into nature, I mean, Tori sends all of these really beautiful pictures on Facebook often of her morning runs. She's not taking pictures of like the brown dirt. She's taking pictures of these magnificent sunrises and sunsets and all of the flowers in between. Without passion for something, standing for something, we lose out on the vibrancy of life and I think that there are a lot of teachings out there that can be misunderstood that somehow by being a compassionate person, we just love one another and spiritually bypass. And to this, I say bullshit. When you feel compassion for others, how could you feel anything other than passion? the passion to show up in profound ways for them, profound ways for yourself. So for some of us, we're just working on how to feel compassion for ourselves. And in our meditation, that's where we'll start. I was suffering from an unbelievable amount of self-doubt today, like crippling. My heart hurts. And and so I had to just like say to myself, kind of like how you would talk to a baby or if you don't like children, like dogs, like, oh, Karuna, I'm, it's going to be okay. You know, it's okay also to feel this way. 
So that passion can come out in um, protests. That passion can come out in railing against people wearing or not wearing their masks, whichever side of the debate you live on. It can look like radical self-compassion where you accept you for you. And then you improve a little bit here or there. So then we get to warrior. A brave or experienced soldier or fighter. So if you couple that with the passion, again, I would just sort of drive the point home ad nauseum that to be a warrior of the heart is not easy. If you've ever read A Hero's Journey, which I would really encourage you to, I don't have one off of the top of my head with a female protagonist. I don't know why. Maybe Joan of Arc? Um, we'll think it through. But, but like the hero's journey, there has to be this apex where all feels lost. And to me, that's kind of where I feel like we are as a world right now. I mean, we're really facing a lot of, lot of unknown. And so in the hero's journey, there has to be this peak. And then there's something waiting on the other side. And like my example was March 14th. Wow, went to bed. March 15th, everything changed. So as we, you know, take up the sword and shield of compassion, it takes a lot of resilience and self-compassion in order to show up for others. So the six ways of being are in support of this effort. I couldn't decide if I was going to have coffee or water. I'm going with water. Okay, so by the way, my name means um, Compassion Warrior, which is very interesting. I've been named three times in my life, well, four, but the first time was by my mom, my biological mom, me, Miguel, and she named me Kelly, which means um, Gaelic Warrior. My Ugandan name that my ex-boss gave me meant Kobusinje, which is peaceful warrior. And my um, Bodhisattva name is Karina Balasta, which is warrior of compassion, which is super interesting because the three did not know one another. So there seems to be a theme. And I can tell you that it's not easy, <laughs> but it's really worth it. Okay, so the first way of being is being generous, not being stingy. And so you may recall, I started out by saying some of these things are going to feel very left-hand. They're going to feel sort of like not what we're taught as children. Yes, we're taught to give. But when things get tough, oh, got to tighten the bootstraps, got to tighten the purse strings, right? We contract. Or if our feelings get hurt, it's like we kind of restrict. Now, I'm by no means saying you're doormats. Hear me again for the people in the back, no doormats. But where in our lives can we actually be more generous? And I'm gonna give you a hint. 
if you're experiencing anxiety, like I have been, <laughs> everyone's kind of nodding. Like, you know, there's a little, I, I kind of feel like you'd have to be under a rock to, a, to not feel like the world is a little interesting at the moment at minimum. And that there is big transformative change that's possible here to break down old systems that do not work. And there are going to be some people who do it publicly, politically, spiritually. And this is just an invitation for whatever else you got going on to also work in your heart space. So when you're feeling stingy, anxious, what can you do? It can be really small for someone else. And it could be as simple as making a phone call to someone that you know has been sheltered in. It could be as simple as going out and noticing that your neighbor's newspaper is really far away from the doorstep and putting it up. All of these little acts that get you off the me, 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 me and into the collective start to add up. And the world benefits and very cool like, so do you and your heart will feel better for it. So that's the first act of a, of a compassion warrior is to be generous and really notice especially the, the special places where you get stingy. I get stingy with my time. It is hard to get me to come to a meeting after about three o'clock because I get up really early. And, but I'll find myself finding excuses it's like, I really don't want to extend my time. So those little places that we notice, you each have your own thing. I can see you're smiling. So you've got something that you're like, oh yeah, I kind of do blah, blah, blah. That's the place where you might move into growth, right? I think there's that, that um, diagram right now that's kind of going around about how you, you know, the, the safe zone, the something else zone, and then the, the growth zone. So seek out the places that make you just, ooh, it's edgy. It's edgy. Edgy is really good. That's the, there's magic there. That's just waiting to be transformed. The second way of, of being as a compassion warrior is ethically sound. Shoring up your morality. And as a former, perhaps still wild child, the first time I heard this, I was like, you got to be effing kidding me. I have to shore up my morality. What does that have to do with anything? Well, it has everything to do with everything. And I have a teacher who likes to say that morality is sexy. Morality is sexy. Just let that kind of sink in. About how you can... encourage others to kind of clean up their own act. See, when we clean up our own act, like I kind of think of, is it Linus? Which one is the one with the, no, Pigpen. Pigpen? Pigpen, right? Whichever of the peanuts that has like the little blanket and has all the dirt that follows them around. You know, if you've ever tried to meditate or if you've ever tried to really show up for another human being, but like you just got in a big old fight and basically told your lover to F off, like, it's really hard to be present. It's hard to be present with yourself, and it's hard to be present with others. So the invitation is to take a peek at something that you know that you need to clean up. 
A decade ago, I knew I had to clean up the sanctity of other people's relationships. Clean that up, got married. I know that if I have more than two glasses of wine, I get lippy. So what's my cleanup there? I mean, I have a vow to be mindful around substances. But what's your vow to yourself? You don't have to have a vow that's external. What's your internal vow for you? So you start to think about the places that you could clean up your act. Oh, yeah. Another good one that you might have is judgy McJudgy pants. And what's cool about some of these is that you're touching on many different ways of being at once, right? So you're like, um, I don't like the expression killing many birds with one stone because I love birds and I don't really particularly like killing. But the idea is there that you can sort of hit a whole bunch of these ways of being through simple acts each day. And again, just in case I croak, one other thing. Please don't try to do all of these at once and please don't commit that you're going to do them for the rest of your damn life. <laughs> pick one. Maybe pick a really easy one and you could commit to that for like the next month and you can just when you sit down to meditate for 10 minutes each day because of course you are. You could just, you know, tick off. I did I did it right this time. I didn't do it so great that time. You know, keep it real informal. It's just a little mental check-in. Totally blew it, you know. And then pick one that's hard, one that's rough, and say, okay, for the next 48 hours, I'm going to try to not whatever it is for you. Okay. The third way of being is to have patience. And this does not mean like the kind of patience that you need for waiting for a bus. Patience is viewed in this perspective as the antidote to anger. And one of the ways that has been helpful for me um, someone who is passionate, therefore tends towards anger. A helpful way of looking at anger is to replace the word anger with the word hate. Most of us, if you're here and are interested in a spiritual path and journey, probably don't really think of yourselves as big old haters. You probably think of yourself as someone who's tolerant, working on becoming more tolerant, working on becoming useful in the world, et cetera, et cetera, right? You're probably not out doing overtly hateful things. But anger is a fit flavor of hate. And to just spend a little time sort of contemplating that, you know, and the next time you're on a long trail run or something, it's just useful. And it has started to transform my relationship with anger. The other thing I'd like to say about anger is that it can be extremely useful I don't know if you've noticed, but there have been some people arrested lately. There have been big Black Lives Matters painted on the streets of Washington, D.C. There have been, um, there's been progress made in terms of um, age-old racist things like statues coming down. There's, that was stoked through the flame of anger. So anger can be extremely useful. I got into a big pissing match recently with someone who was like, anger is never helpful. Good luck not spiritual bypassing, seriously. 
without exploring anger within you. The trick, and it's not easy, and we don't have enough time today, but it is something I like to explore, is how to transform that energy, because that's what it is, and you know it. I mean, you know how it feels in your body when you get really angry, and you can move that energy into compassionate action, and it is not easy. Sometimes it means sitting like a bump on a log and not saying anything. I find that very useful with my husband. He has no idea what to do with that. He's always like, wait, you're not going to fight with me? Nope. And then see what happens. It's interesting to see how sometimes apologies happen out of that. So we work with our anger. I guess that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, um, it's all workable. And it's like, I like to give the example, you know, if you're in Walmart, Target. If you're in Target and you have your child, a friend's child, and, and someone snatches said child, that anger is going to fuel your action to save said child. You have to have it. So it's there for a reason. I think we have someone else joining. Hold on. Let me let them in. What happened? Well, maybe not. Weird. I don't know. Um, okay. So anger, use it patience. Anger can also completely destroy your life and all of your relationships. If you've ever been around an angry person, have you ever noticed how like children, pets, partners, they scatter? Like the person walks in and it's like, you just, you know, can't, can't do it. So I think that if you're prone to anger like me, it's really useful to notice your triggers and to work with it. And this is one area where I feel like a good old talk therapist can be really helpful. So sometimes as a compassion warrior, we're not doing this on our own. We're invoking all of our people. We're invoking our acupuncturist. We're invoking our talk therapist. Compassion warriors know how to ask for help. And I think one more thing, I hope we have time to set. I knew this was going to be a lot of information. Okay. <clears throat> one, one other thing about anger on the other side of anger lies unbelievable clarity. When you notice why you get angry, why you feel angry. So first you have to get over the fact that you're not an angry person. You have feelings of anger that come up for some of us more than others. Interesting out of the six ways, though, that it isn't like um, they don't talk about being a sad person. They talk about the antidote to anger because it is so, can be so destructive. So on the other side of anger is clarity. Getting really clear about the things that are really important to you. If you're like me and you really are loyal, like you want me on your team, I will defend you day, night, and in between. Right. So when someone is um, acts towards someone I love in a way that I don't like, Mama Bear wakes up. 
which can be helpful or destructive. So clarity, watch for the clarity. What can you get clear on? It was interesting. I didn't know I was loyal until I started really looking at why I get angry. And then I realized, oh, duh. Joyful effort. You know, the world's kind of falling apart, but inside I kind of have this Teflon. It's weird. Even when things are so completely screwed up, there is joy at being alive. There is joy for having friends. There is joy for the blue sky. Um, looking at the birds that still do their thing, the squirrels that are still doing their thing. Feeling joy for the love that I do have today and for the things I have, even no matter where you are in the spectrum of haves and haves nots, you have something. I worked in Uganda and it was so interesting, the grandmothers there that would be caring for like 10 children, orphans, and you'd go into their home and there would be like literally one cup sometimes, maybe like a bed where they all laid on the floor together. And then they might have a jackfruit, which are those really big green fruits. If you know what they are, they're about this big. And, and, and the first thing the grandmother would do would be to offer me their jackfruit. The only thing they had to eat that I could see. And she would do it with this unbelievable joy. And I had this happen like over and over again. So have, have not, I don't know that matters. I think we can find joy. And I think it's hard. And I know that that is triggering for a lot of people. So just a lot of this stuff you can shelf. You can say, not a chance, Karuna, come on. How am I finding joy when I'm locked up in my house, 300 square foot apartment for the past three months? You gotta be kidding me. And yet there's a smile, okay? We have friends, we have each other. We have Mind Oasis, which is a place for us to connect. We have each other, okay? So then I think the, to me, the most important way of being or the most important activity of a compassion warrior is the next one, which is to have a meditation practice. Now, I trail run, Tori trail runs. I garden. I'm sure some of you garden. Yes, those all count. Those are all unbelievable meditative um, activities. They all count. Personally, I think that a formal meditation practice is important. If it's moving, like it is for my husband, that's just fine. Not everyone sits, though I still think you should. But that's me. And I know that there's a lot of people who just really don't feel they can. But I think for most people, even 10 minutes a day can be really beneficial. Even if it's gazing at the damn blue sky and just feeling the breath and the air on your body. That's enough. But when we have a meditation practice of some sort that's like in a box, right? Here's a boundary. A, some sort of practice, body sensing, um, sensation of breath, gazing at the sky, feeling the present moment air on your skin. It invites a habituation of your mind to take place. 
that you can have a moment of directing your mind and whether it's through the body, many of us come to meditation through yoga asana, whether it's through breath, you find that much to what most of us think, you can direct your mind a little bit. And what that opens up to me is this world of possibility to remember these teachings when you need them the most. So when you're feeling me, 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 and your heart hurts, and you kind of want to throw up because your anxiety is really high, because you've sat in some sort of formal meditation, and again, just use that as a metaphor. If it's, if it's moving, if it's walking, that's totally fine. I'm just going to call it meditation, okay? You, you've trained your mind to just experience this tiny gap. So if life is a film, a series of film, right? The film is moving like this. Having that meditation practice gives you sort of like the strand, this insertion point where you can do something different than what you've already done. And I think that is exceptionally difficult if you don't have some sort of practice. So for those of you who either don't have a practice or kind of remember what it was like before your practice, which I do. I just kind of thought life ran me. I, I didn't know there was any possibility of something else. I could like run for my health. I could like sit in the sun and I kind of knew that was good for my mental health. So I sort of like knew these things that felt helpful or the world told me were helpful. But I had no idea the capacity to not react. I always say that's kind of a low bar. But, you know, think about what the world would look like if we all just reacted 10% less. How much kinder, how much more compassion and empathy would exist? Even just 1%. One act a day where we insert something else. And that to me is the potency of a formal meditation practice. I don't think it has to be long. In the practices I teach, some of you can probably testify that, you know, it's really to amplify, amplify your life and to make it more vivid. It's certainly not to like navel gaze. So the practices that you learn, whether it's through eye rest or whether it's through shamatha meditation or through insight meditation, if, if you just go off your cushion and life is the same, well, then we got to talk because, because there, even if it's minimal, there's the possibility of movement and change in your life that's profound. And I don't think you have to sit for a long period of time. I think short periods, but every day, or maybe every day and like you take one day off a week, that's the juice, okay? So we, so we meditate, walking meditation, moving meditation. And then finally, <laughs> we just, it's called wisdom. And I think we think of wisdom as like the grand old owl and somehow maybe being book smart or like I think of kind of like Oxford, like the wisdom of all those books or something. But this is different. This is the wisdom of the changeability of our world. March 14th, March 15th. 
for me, September 13th, 2000, 7 a.m., had my mom, my beautiful 46-year-old mom, me, Miguel, I promised I would bring her up. Many of you have heard this, sorry. But, you know, I had my mom, got on her motorcycle, toot-tooted. An hour later, I'm serving my kid Cheerios. I still did GMO at that point. Serving my poor kid Cheerios. And um, I get a phone call that she's been in a motorcycle accident and she's dead. Just gone. It's not to bum you out. It's to say, this is life. This is how it works. And this is how it's always going to work. So when we understand the changeability of the world, there is this unbelievable force, this unbelievable access point to really live your life. Like, I have plenty of Netflix nights, but I got to tell you, for the most part, I am living my life. And then you contract, and you contract from being generous, and you contract from being moral, and you just are a little slump on a log, and you just regroup, and then you tenderly, because that's what it's like as a compassion warrior, you tenderly open your heart again, and you start over every day. And then you've lived when you come to the place looking back, hopefully you'll have that sort of death. You'll have lived a good life and you will have helped others. So much of what we do living is to prepare us for a good death. I know we don't like to think about that. I talk about it a lot. I think about it a lot. Okay. So I know I said we'd have time for questions, but I'd love to maybe practice for a moment. And I'd also like to read you a poem because we do poems. Okay, so let's take a good seat. If you need to stand up and stretch, since I had you sitting for 45 minutes. I want to use Jack Cornfield's words for this loving kindness. I find them to be um, really sweet and I will send them to you. So you have them. So take a good seat. If you're seated in a chair, your feet are flat on the ground. If you're on a cushion, you could be standing, though I'd like for you to relax. Crown extending towards the sky, a little tuck of the chin. And just drop your attention back into that heart space. And just see if anything shifted, if there's any other maybe person that you'd like to practice for.
And then draw into your space in front of you someone that you love, someone that it's very easy for you to love and really notice their features. Maybe there's something about them that's really beautiful to you, their hands or their eyes. And you might just feel a um, cocoon of safety around you. Love, compassion, equanimity, joy. And just enjoy the felt sense of being with them. And then keeping that felt sense, begin to say these words first to yourself. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be safe from inner and outer dangers. May I be well in body and mind. And may I be at ease and happy. And then feel your beloved in front of you and say to them, may you be filled with loving kindness. May you be safe from inner and outer dangers. May you be well in body and mind. And may you be at ease and happy. And then expanding this cocoon and including all people in your life that it's just really easy to love. May you all be filled with loving kindness. May you all be safe from inner and outer dangers. May you all be well in body and mind. And may you all be at ease and happy. And then bringing into this expanding, very large cocoon, a whole lot of people that you don't really know. So you might note people that you see in the neighborhood or at the grocery store, or even on Mind Oasis, that you kind of see their faces, but you don't necessarily know them.
May you all be filled with loving kindness. May you all be safe from inner and outer danger. May you all be well in body and mind. And may you all be at ease and happy. And you probably know where we're going, but opening up that cocoon even further and now including those difficult people. He might take a cleansing breath here and just resolve to extend compassion and loving kindness to them. It does not mean that you have to be friends with them. <laughs> May you too be filled with loving kindness. May you too be safe from inner and outer dangers. May you too be well in body and mind. And may you be at ease and happy. And then before we move to the whole world, I'm going to invite you to bring in any other groups of people that you'd like to especially send this message to. Those seeking racial justice, social justice, so many people imprisoned, so many people in refugee camps, whatever it is for you, just start to feel them to in this beautiful cocoon that you've created, your world, your mandala. May you all be filled with loving kindness. May you all be safe from inner and outer dangers. And may you all be well in body and mind and may you all be at ease and happy. And then just for the heck of it, imagine all 7.8 billion people in your cocoon. And if it's hard, I like to think of their hearts beating just like your heart. May you all be filled with loving kindness. May you all be safe from inner and outer dangers. May you all be well in body and mind. And may you all be at ease and happy, every last one of you. And then you can begin to let all of that go, that visualization go, and just feel your space and enjoy this poem. Glory surrounds us from birth. Glory encircles us as we draw air for our first whale and enfolds us after we empty our lungs for the last time. In between these two breaths, we dwell in the midst of this glory, in the joys and struggles of our personal relationships. The delights and challenges of nurturing children, the wisdom and suffering of aging, the detachment of death, the heartbreak of grief. 
Through it all, we are sustained by keeping our eyes wide open to the wonder that is always around us. The opportunity before us in every moment is to choose to live awakened lives as children of awe, truly alive in the midst of the simple grandeur that surrounds our days. The art of plain living is to engage life as a process of opening our hearts and maintaining a vigilant awareness of the streams of glory encircling our lives. And so if you'd like, you can bring a hand to your heart space. Feeling like a child of awe. And we'll take just a moment here to dedicate the merit of our practice to all those beings. May they be happy and free. May they live with peace and ease. And then as you're ready, you can start to wiggle fingers and toes and blink open your eyes. Well, I'll just give one more little tiny plug and then I suppose it's off to the races. But um, I am teaching an intensive and Kimber has applied. And so we will have lots of guests teachers, so you won't just get me. And um, I'm having a Q&A next week, Monday, which is like maybe the 22nd or so. Um, so if there's anyone who wants to know a little bit more about the intensive, it has two tracks. You can either just come and amplify your own meditation practice, or you can come on and become a teacher. And it was interesting. We had about 20 people last year. We had a couple people drop out. And out of the 16, 18 who remained, um, all but two decided to become meditation teachers and they almost all teach on community meditation. So most did not come in thinking they were going to teach. Most came in thinking they were just going to like amplify their own meditation practice. So we spend the first portion really learning good, solid techniques. Um, those of you who have done my foundations practice, you know, it's like really learning how to use attention and awareness, which is very useful. The second part this year is actually going to be taught by Sheena Brockington Taylor. She's a board member and a graduate, and she'll be talking about social and racial justice um, mm -hmm. and inviting all the participants to really explore our own biases, et cetera, and what we can do about it, how it's workable. And then the third part will be sort of a um, smorgasbord of all the different types of practices. So Turi with IRAS, there you go, you're on the spot. I just invited you, <laughs> right? Um, and then we'll, we'll have someone come in and talk about Tonglen. We'll have someone come in and talk about Ayurveda, the, the Indian health system. We'll have someone come in and talk about the energetic body. Um, what else do we have? We have some other interests. Oh, uh, like Ayurvedic astrology. So, you know, we do sort of a nice broad spectrum. So you really get introduced to all different types of um, meditation practices. And then uh, I kind of throw you into the, the mix. You become a teacher pretty quickly if you choose that. You have the first couple of months to decide. Um, and then a lot of the training is actually hands-on practicum where you become a community meditation teacher and you get to bring it to the streets. And it's awesome. And everyone, everyone who took the intensive last year grew in some unbelievable, unpredictable way, ways. There are lots of people who changed careers. There are lots of people who have added a new sort of nutrition or health or some sort of certification to what they're doing. Um, and lots of friendships formed. So it's, it's a really awesome experience.
Okay. Thanks, lovely people. Thanks for joining me. Have a beautiful you. night. You too. Thank you. You too. Thank you.